right, good evening. How is everybody? I think I heard full, miserable, sleepy. That was a whole lot of goodness, wasn't it? And a whole lot of badness, I'm just telling you. But that was that was incredible. I thank everybody who brought things. Just give yourself a round of applause because that, that was an incredible meal. And I had no more business eating that and a man in the moon because we went with a friend of mine and went to Pizza Inn Buffet for lunch. So, I mean, I'm just miserable. I mean, it's, I don't know what you're going to hear within the next 30 minutes, but it's not going to be pretty. So, uh, so I'm, in a, I'm in a pizza, fried chicken, sugar coma, I can tell you that. But uh, I'm glad you're here. And so we're going to spend about the first 30 minutes. I'm going to sort of wrap up the next expectations, and it's sort of going to be like a pep rally of sorts uh, because this is sort of what the whole thing is about of next expectations and what it's coming to and what, you know, a, a pep rally, maybe pep rally is the wrong terminology, maybe uh, halftime discussion. Just think of what maybe Butch was saying in halftime Saturday. It was not fun, but it was inspiring and it made a difference. And in the end, we won. And uh, I'm not talking I'm not talking about balls. I'm drawing an analogy here, okay? <clears throat> this may not be fun, but I hope it's inspiring and I know dead Jim sure we win in the end. And we're going to get there as a church and we're going to do whatever it takes. So Hang with me for about 30 minutes, then we're going to open it up for, for your questions concerning, as I shared this morning, about mission, vision, values uh, moving forward, and uh, to clarify things, to answer any questions uh, that, that are, are about these topics that please try to keep them confined to what we've talked about over the last five weeks, if you will, uh, because that's where we want to stay focused. We don't need a lot of extraneous discussion about... <sighs> matters that aren't about moving forward and so we can have those discussions somewhere else but not here if that's okay and so we'll open that up for questions i've got microphones here i've got very agile uh, men to run the microphones and i've got a third one here in case one of those die running up and down the aisle so uh, we'll we'll get your we'll run the microphone to you when we get there if you'll just raise your hand and uh, we'll we'll try to get to everybody's question, but we will be out of here uh, by no later than seven, if that's okay with everybody, because I think you'll be asleep way before that. But let me open a word of prayer and we'll get started. Have I told you I loved you lately? Because I do. Let's pray. God, thank you for a great day. Uh, thank you for Dr. Rayner and just his manner and method. And just being a solid man of God who loves the church and who lives to equip the church to do more and to be better at bringing the gospel into the lostness of the world. So God, thank you for his ministry and his willingness to come and share with us this morning. And thank you for all those that helped to make that happen, Dale and Chad and others that, that just gave of themselves that he might have everything he needs to, that we might have the experience we had this morning. Thank you for all that come today and heard the word at both campuses at here and at Cumberland I just thank you for the blessing of it and the fact that you've melded together so many lives from from Western Avenue and Merchants Road and all over our community God thank you for your blessings of 
our church and our body and our people. So God, tonight for the next 30 minutes to an hour, we want to glorify you. We want to stand in honor of you. We want to be accountable to your word. So Lord, as, as we talk and we listen and we ask and we answer, I pray you'd be glorified and honored in every word that's spoken and that the church would be victorious because we have come together in unity and a common mission, vision, and purpose. God, we pray it for the kingdom's sake and for your glory. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen. So we're on week six. I'm gonna continue to go back over because I believe in repetition. My mind needs it. It's a necessity because the minute I say it, it falls out the other ear. So I want to talk about the five expectations we've talked about so far. We talked about clarity of the gospel in week one. The disciples you make is determined by the gospel you preach. So when you look around and see the disciples you're making and you don't like what you see or you need some adjusting of what you see, there's only one place you go to to make the adjustments and that's the gospel because it's the gospel that makes the disciples that we ultimately produce. So we want to have clarity of the gospel to know that it's a Genesis to Revelation gospel, a revelation of Jesus Christ and, and his sufficiency throughout all the Bible and in our lives today and for all days forward. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not three points in a poem. It's the entirety of Jesus' life and how he would live our life if he was walking in our shoes. That's the gospel. And we need to know how to clearly articulate it from our context, from our testimony, very clearly so that the lost world would know the power of the gospel. So we talked about the clarity of the gospel. Discipleship is not optional. We talked about discipleship and conversion being two sides of the same coin and that you can't separate the two. It's not possible. You can differentiate the, some of the differences between the two, but you can't separate them. Conversion and discipleship have to go together because if you have been converted and you've come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, then the Holy Spirit now dwells within you. So if you never had a Bible teacher step into your life, you have the greatest teacher in all of creation living in you to teach you and to disciple you. And so we have no excuse. We can say we haven't been discipled, but we have the creator of the universe living within our soul and his word that clearly delineates how we're to live our life on this earth. There are no excuses and discipleship's not optional. And so we need to, we need to be, have an understanding that we must be a discipleship first church because you can build a church without making disciples just with a lot of church members. But if you make disciples, you will build a great church that has kingdom impact. And so we wanna be about building disciples and it's not optional. It is an absolute necessity in kingdom growth. The third in expectations, whatever it takes, attitudes, everything. I mean, this is the same in in the gospel world. It's the same at your work. It's the same in your family and your parenting and your your marriage relationship. Attitude is 99% of everything. If you've got a bad one, it's hard to overcome and you're not gonna be very productive and everything around you is gonna fall apart and you're gonna blame it on everybody else. But if you allow the Holy Spirit to give you an attitude correction, then you can conquer the world because the purity of his life in you can make all the difference around you. So we must have a gospel-inspired, Holy Spirit-alive attitude. 
with the gospel being on the forefront of everything we say and do. So whatever it takes attitude, and attitude is everything. That means we must be willing to do whatever it takes to reach those who aren't here yet. And until we're there, we're just playing games. And that's not what we're here for. Life is too short. Eternity is too long. Hell's too hot. And the gospel is too real to play games. Attitude is everything, and we have to do whatever it takes. The world is depending on me and you. So we have to have a whatever it takes attitude. Number four, we talked about living an other-centered life, how, how every thought as a body of believers, as a child of God, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, every thought must first be about someone else besides our own. And if our life and thought process and intentionality and attitudes and and our processes as we walk through life, if they are others-centered, then you'll see a complete delivery from selfishness, self-centeredness, and all the pettiness that so often consumes churches and relationships of every kind. So when we're thinking of others first, we don't have time for feeling sorry for ourselves and complaining about what we don't have. There's a lot of really great things coming up from Christian media. Uh, one we've talked about, in Insan- the insanity of God, has already been on to movie theaters. I was told tonight that they're going to uh, simulcast it in November, and so I'm going to try to find some information about that, but I've already pre-ordered the DVD, and if, if you will come together, we're going to try to schedule maybe a Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening to watch the insanity of God, which is a really a documentary more documentary more so than a movie and it's about the life of a missionary nick ripkin and his family and if you watch that and walk out of here with any inward feelings and not outward focus then we need to do some business about salvation and the truth of the gospel because we need to get real with with what the rest of the world sees and what we call persecution we have no right to even talk about in the American arena of church because we don't, we don't have a clue. We don't have a clue. And his slogan was this. It's on a wristband and maybe we'll order some and hand them out and it should become a convicting slogan of, of our church. But the slogan that was his life's message that put everything in perspective and brought him back to, to a plumb line of the gospel was a simple question. Is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus worth it? So in the midst of tremendous persecution of losing a child, of, of being beaten in a Russian gulag, of, of Chinese being isolated from the rest of the world, in the midst of all of that, if you can answer the question, is Jesus worth it? Then you can endure the persecution that the world brings. But you have to answer the question. And we need to ask the question. I know we're not in a secret church. I know we're not in a Russian gulag being beaten every day. But we need to ask the question so that when that time does come in our culture and society, and it will, we can answer the question, is Jesus worth it? It must be yes now to be yes later. It's important. Live an others-centered life. Last week we talked about turning church inside out. It's just a reframing and a refocusing of ministry and mission in the church about 
thinking about everything we do must happen outside these walls. If we're going to impact the lost world around us, we're foolish to think we're going to do it here. They're not coming here. Dr. Rainer touched on it this morning. Our culture changed. The people who once cared about the church culture and would come when you invited them don't exist anymore. They don't exist. They're, they're the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S, the ones who have no religious affiliation when asked on a census, what religion are you affiliated with? And they check none. That is the predominant section of our culture today. So we can't do ministry here and expect people to come. We can't have big events here and expect the unchurched to come. If we have big events here, think about it. We have big events here, who comes? Churches, other churches who can't afford to do the big events that we do. Not that there's no value in that, but we really have to weigh resources and think about what we're doing as an outwardly focused church. And we're not here to to entertain all our church folks' friends. We're here to join with them in a battle. And so we need to weigh everything we do. Every dollar spent, and we'll talk a little bit more about that tonight, every dollar spent and every hour given needs to be first tempered with an outwardly focused question. Why are we doing it? How's it gonna build the kingdom? How's it gonna make disciples? Does it matter for somebody's eternity? We gotta start asking the right questions and be honest about the culture we live in. And then lastly tonight, I just wanna, I wanna light a fire and talk about the whole reason all these first five are, are important is because our job is to turn the world upside down because the world as we know it is so far from godliness and so far from absolute truth it's going to take it's got to take more than casual Christianity and good church folks the time for that is lost it's going to take a radical infiltration into the darkness of the world with the truth and power of the gospel that literally flips culture upside down. Acts seventeen six. Paul's on, I think, his second missionary journey here, and he's uh, traveling around in Asia Minor, what we know as modern-day Turkey, and, and uh, he has now tapped Timothy to uh, begin in a ministry with him, and, and uh, he gets in a quite a bit of hot water. There's um, a bunch of mean Hebrews and a bunch of crazy Greeks that are out for his hide. And uh, this is the statement they make about Paul and his band of apostles. He said, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. That little phrase, I think that's the Holman Christian translation. That little phrase about turn the world upside down, it literally means to upset the culture to no up, upset the empire is what the word means it means to incite riots against the establishment that's what they were claiming Paul was doing with this teaching of the gospel of this man named Jesus that's the severity of the battle we must engage in because the empire that we now live in and I'm not talking about just America but certainly America But when the Bible talks about the world, when Christ talked about the world, 
He's talking about the world system, the governmental system, the monetary system, the world system that Satan, the prince of the power of the air, have set up in order to control his domain. He's talking about everything that's ungodly in the world. And this is the level of battle, of fight, of intensity that the church must engage in if we're going to make a dent in the darkness. If we believe any other thing, we will not make any headway against the darkness in this world because we don't understand the seriousness and the depth of the darkness. We have to turn the world upside down. We have to incite riots against the empire of the evil one. We must go to all-out battle in a whatever-it-takes attitude with another's focus and a Holy Spirit-empowered life with the power of the gospel and reach into the darkness of the world with all bets off. That's the seriousness of the battle we're engaged in. And you cannot win that battle playing church and having petty arguments. That just plays right into his hands. It's time to rise up. It's time to, to, to get real with what the battle we're in and who what our role is and the seriousness of the church's role in this. We're, uh, I've told you before, we're plan A, there is no plan B, but we're enough with the gospel. We need to turn the world upside down. By the world's establishment, by the world system that the New Testament talks about, they need to feel this way about us. They need to, they need to feel, oh no, those folks at Wallace have come here too. They've turned the world upside down everywhere they go and now they're in our backyard. Darkness needs to fear the light. We're the light. It's time to get real about the battle. I mean, Paul was real about it in Ephesians when he talked about the full armor of God and the seriousness of it. He didn't play games in those words. He painted a picture of a warrior clothed for battle and he knew anything short of that was failure and death. And we've come to think that we're just here to sing songs and study the quarterly. Be good people. Don't cuss. Don't smoke. Be a little bit better than your neighbor or at least hide it better than they do. That's a losing strategy and that's why the world is growing darker day by day and the church is getting more and more frustrated and sitting back wondering why we're losing. It's because we don't understand the battle and we got to understand it. Upset the empire, make no mistake, what we're called to do is turn the world upside down. They'll not like it if we do it right. If we're not facing opposition, we need to turn around and swim the other way. Because if we're not meeting friction everywhere we go, we're in the wrong lane. Because everything we do should be contrary to the world's thought system and process. Every word we speak, even in love and kindness with mercy and grace, should just tick the world off because they're not about it and we need to be about it. J.D. Greer says this in his book, Gaining by Losing, talking about being a sending church and the importance of it. Fill a heart with passion for the lost and it develops the skill of sending, sending, being sent, 
continually. I sent people. No shouting required. Just a heart with a passion for the lost. What keeps us from proficiency in sending, you see, is not a lack of competency, but a lack of conviction. It's not a scarcity of skill, but a paucity of passion. See, we blame the wrong things. We just lack passion. We have skill, we have competency, but we lack conviction and we lack passion because we underestimate the enemy in the battle. And we need to focus on the battle. If we're going to turn the world upside down, we must cultivate a heart full of passion for the lost around us that is bursting with conviction to reach into the lostness with the gospel. Whatever whatever fire we got to light, whatever sermon we need to preach, whatever series we need to do, whatever discussion we need to have, whatever putting on the gloves and rolling up the sleeves and going at it with each other in order to come out with the gospel as our intent, we got to do it as a church or the darkness is just going to prevail. We, we must decide, you and I must decide, are we going to be, are we going to go to church or are we going to be the church? What do you say? Are we going to go to church or are we going to be the church? Because the vast majority of American churches are going to church, but they're not being the church. It's the only reason I can find that America is in the depraved state on a slippery slope toward hell that we are. There's no other excuse because if we were being the church, we would see advances. We would see lives changed. We would see movement made. We have to decide. Criticizing the darkness will not make it one bit brighter. We can sit and fuss about them being evil all we want to. We're not going to change a thing. They're going to laugh and get more evil. Criticizing the darkness makes no difference. Being a light in the midst of the darkness, however, will change the world. And that's what we're called to. We're to be the light. Not this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This flaming torch that's leading a battalion of spiritual warriors into battle. That's this little light of mine. There can't be any weak lights. All lights must be lighting the way into the darkness to fight what the enemy has put before us. And we will change the world. So why it's important? Why is it important to be the light of the world? Because darkness is a natural state. Think about it. Light is not the absence of darkness. You don't turn the dark on in order to turn off the light. You turn the light off in order for it to be dark. Dark is the natural state. Light has to invade the darkness in order to cast out the darkness. So our job can't be to sit back and hope the light prevails. We are the light. We have to walk into battle with our light shining brightly and hot and burning long and holding each other accountable for our flame. It's important. Darkness is the absence of light. And if it's dark around us, guess what's missing? Light. Who's the light? I am. You are. The church is. Christ Jesus is. And I guarantee you his light has not dimmed, but the church's has. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. John eight twelve. 
He said, just follow me. I am the light. Walk in mine. I'll light the way. I'll take you to the battle. He's not leading us to peace. He's leading us to war. War with the darkness that he lights up clearly. And our job is to follow into battle. Strategically, intentionally, with incredible confidence, knowing one, one thing that, that Colonel Archer never went into battle knowing was that the victory was assured. They had prepared, planned, trained, strategized. There's all kind of variables and unknowns. It's always a tremendous risk of danger. We're in a battle that's already won. And we're still afraid to walk in it. Can you imagine the confidence in a battalion, Jeff, if they were walking into battle knowing with 100% surety and confidence that it was done deal, all they had to do is walk in it? That would be some cocky army fellas. And they would go in with guns a-blazing and just grit and confidence. That's what the church should be doing because the battle's won. All we have to do is walk in it and fight it because he is our banner. If the church is walking in the dark, it's because we're doing things in our own strength. It's time to step out into the darkness and the power of the gospel of Christ. We can do a lot in our own strength. We have good flesh. We're good church folks. Ronnie Floyd used that term 15 years ago in a session he was doing for our staff and he said we can accomplish a lot in our own flesh because we got good flesh but when you start depending on good flesh your own talents your own strengths and abilities you are setting yourself up for the biggest fall you've ever had and he said you might accomplish much but you will accomplish nothing of eternal significance in the flesh so we we can't we can't live that way as a church. We have to do things that only can be explained by God. It's time as a church to attempt things that if that will absolutely fail if God doesn't show up. That's the life we have to live. That's the battle we have to run. It's time to take the light into the world as a church. It's going to take tremendous commitment, sacrifice, Above all, obedience. But God blesses all that. And he's prepared to receive it all from us as we give ourselves as a living sacrifice. And that's what he asks. You know, God, you don't see it in the New Testament where he says, you know, I sent my son to die for you. I paid the price. I want you to just do the best you can. I know, I know you're, you're frail, still got issues. Just just do the best you can. That's okay. Mm-mm. He says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your body as a living sacrifice. All in. Burn the ships, burn the bridges. The battle's too important. The world's going to hell. It's time to be all in. God made it clear. Paul made it clear. The entire New Testament makes it clear. There's no mediocre Christianity. There's mediocre churchianity. We don't have time for that because God's on a dead run to the end of time. It's time to turn the world upside down. So what's that look like? 
very quickly. The church must start act, stop acting like the darkness is in control. We can't walk around cowering to the darkness saying, oh my gosh, did you hear about that shooting today? Those are all tragic. Pray. Pray your guts out for all those people because it can happen here tomorrow. But we can't be walking around in fear. What's the Bible say? Don't fear the one who can only take your life. Fear the one who can take your soul. We are never to fear man. Never. We're to fear God. Darkness is not in control. God's in control. That's the truth we have to walk in. That's the truth we live by. That's the truth we go to battle on. That's the sign we smack on the way out of the door. God's in control. I'm going to walk in that truth and know that he is enough. Then we start acting like the church. Church must stop acting like the world doesn't want the gospel. Of course they don't want it, but they desperately need it. They don't know that it's a heaven or hell issue. They just think it's a giving up my freedom issue because the church wants me to act like them. That can't be the truth we carry them. We have to tell them the truth of Christ Jesus and the eternal issues that are at stake. And we have to challenge them with just simple questions like, if everything you've believed is wrong, don't you really wish somebody would love you enough to tell you? If they say no, Ed and I, we were having a discussion this morning. If they say no, shake it off. Dust your feet and move on. Not many people will say no to that question. I wouldn't, and I know the truth. But if I'm living in deceit, I'm willing to listen to their argument when they ask me, when they tell me they love me enough to tell me the truth. I'm going to listen to their truth knowing what I believe the truth is, and then we'll have a discussion about whose truth is truly truth. But we need to have those discussions. They desperately need the gospel. The church must stop wondering what it will take to change the world. The church must stop being ashamed of the gospel. And you say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. 95 to 97% of all Christians will never share their faith. What do you call it? I know you'd never say it. You might spell it a different way that makes you feel better about it. But to never share the gospel is to be ashamed of the gospel. Certainly not to truly understand the power of the gospel. Church has to stop being ashamed of the gospel, afraid we might offend somebody with the gospel. Let me just settle that right now. The gospel is just stinking offensive. It separates the sheep and the goats. It separates the lost and the saved. It is by nature intended to be offensive. So walk in it. You hope it's offensive. You hope it offends them so much that they choose Christ as opposed to hell. If, if the gospel you're preaching is not offensive to their sin, you better back up and read the gospel again because it is offensive to sin. And the first response is going to be defensive because you've told them they're not a good person. But you can have the discussion lovingly. None of us are good people. It's not about good or bad. It's about lost or saved. I need to know that you know the difference. Can't be afraid of those things. It's the gospel that is the power of God 
to salvation. We need to turn the gospel loose in the world and watch God work. Jesus is not a commodity to be sold. He is a person to introduce his love and sacrifice and death and resurrection to a lost and dying world that needs it. He is not a commodity to be sold. If you find yourself standing there in a discussion with somebody and you're trying to pitch Jesus to them, stop. Jesus is a man who died for them and if they're not ready to receive that, shake it off and walk on. Because when the heart is open, it will manifest itself in brokenness that leads to repentance. Because what's the Bible say? Godly repentance. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. Worldly sorrow maybe to guilt, but certainly to destruction. We just got to get real with all these all these things that we know to be true, but we haven't wrapped up and put in our reference basket to live our life in accordance to it. Turn the gospel loose in the world and watch God work. Salvation is never your responsibility. It's the Holy Spirit's. Your responsibility is to throw the gospel in the middle of the darkness and watch God light it up. That's our job. And as you throw it and he lights it up, step forward. Because there's somebody else that needs it. We need to retool our ministries in order to make sure that every dollar spent and every hour worked has a discipleship first purpose. If we are not making disciples that make disciples, we have no reason to exist. That's what we're called to as a church. Everything else is a function of that. Making disciples that make disciples and having a flow and a plan as a church to make that continually reproduce itself as a way of doing life and ministry. If an event doesn't have a process that assimilates the people impacted into the discipleship process of a church, why are we doing it? A lot of events in church life start out with great intentions and great processes and follow-up, but over time they just become events that we do because we've always done them. Every event in every church in America needs to be weighed to make sure there's a follow-up assimilation process of bringing people into the discipleship process of a church or we're being bad stewards of the resources we have because it's not about entertaining church folks. It's about attacking the darkness. If if a missions activity does not have a gospel element, quit calling it missions because it's not. Missions, by definition, is an attack of an organization or an element with the gospel. And everything we do in the the light of missions activities is, is a tool to bring the gospel to who we're ministering to. Every can of food, every tooth that's pulled, everything we do in, in, for the name of missions must have a gospel intent, an element, or we're just doing social ministries. There's a lot of organizations better at that than the church is. But nobody is better at the gospel than the church is. But we lose track. We start doing good instead of doing gospel. We had a focus. 
we got to make sure we don't lose sight of our purpose. It must have a gospel element. We don't exist to entertain the church. We exist to equip the church to reach the lost with the gospel. That's as simple as I know how to put it. And we have to see it that way. We have to do it that way. We exist to turn the world upside down. That's why we're here. We need to all go to bed tonight and ask ourselves the question, what have I done? What have I done individually? What have I done as the leader of my family? What have I done in my connect group? What have I done in my church? What have I done in my denomination to turn the world upside down? Because if we don't give it a thought, it never materializes. It never happens. We have to turn the world upside down. How do we do it? This was here before I got here. And it's right. Love God through worship. Connect with people through connect groups, small group ministry. Impact the world through missions and ministry with gospel intent. Where, here's the key, where we live, work, and play. Remember when we did Life on Mission? In the everyday rhythms of life, be the gospel. Love, connect, impact where we live, work, and play. I'd love to see us add those three words to our language because that is the difference in having a slogan as opposed to having a mission. Love, connect, impact where we live, work, and play. Six words that can change the emphasis of this church if we will internalize them. So how do I prepare for the task? Here's just a couple of suggestions. We're starting a growing up class next Sunday night, six o'clock. I'm leading it six weeks long. And it tells you the importance of D groups, how to go deeper in your discipleship walk. This is a level of deeper discipleship that, that lays underneath the connect group and helps people to be more accountable for responding to the truth we now already know. And as we learn more, be accountable for it. So very simple, very simple process, reproducible. Share Jesus without fear, starting that next Wednesday, the 5th. Frank Gordon's gonna facilitate that. Learn to share your faith in a very simple, conversational, straightforward way. It is one of the best evangelism tools out there. Now, I'll qualify that because everybody's personality is different and everybody's delivery style is gonna be different for the gospel. Mine's gonna be different than yours. I like this one. I think it fits more personalities than most of the other evangelism tools. But my, my suggestion has always been load your evangelistic belt with as many tools as you can possibly get because every situation's different. But if you have five or 10 evangelistic tools in your belt, then trust the Holy Spirit to bring the one to the surface at the right time for the right reason with the right person. Mine usually comes out as some mixture of EE, faith, Roman road, share Jesus without fear, and it's sort of a, a mixed match of all of them, but the gospel's in it. And it just depends on who I'm talking to in the situation. But we must be about personal evangelism. We must be about sharing our faith where we live, work, and play. It's what we're called to do. We must be intentional about forming relationships with the unchurched in our community. We don't do that very well. We like our church friends. Our church friends don't need Jesus. 
our unchurched friends do. What Jesus say? I didn't come for those who are already well. I came for the sick. Start making relationships with the sick, with the unchurched, and watch God light it up. You'll be amazed. And the more open you are to it, the more you'll realize they were there all along. We just didn't have an intentionality about us. Invite them into your life, into your home, into your church, and into a relationship with Jesus. Work on your neighbors a little bit at a time. Andy Stanley, I love his analogy. He said, we try to move them from the front porch to the living room to the kitchen. The kitchen where we all know the real business gets done. But we got to start inviting our neighbors, inviting our family, inviting our friends, inviting the unchurched, our coworkers. Invite them into your life. If you invite them to church and they don't want to come to church or they're uncomfortable with that or they kind of politely make a weird noise, and if you've done much inviting, you'll know all that happens, then back up for a minute and invite them out for coffee. Invite them to your house for dinner or for coffee and snacks. Gain their trust. Don't give up just because they won't come to church. The world don't come to church because it's foreign to them. That's what Dr. Rainer was talking about this morning. If they won't come to church, invite them out to coffee, invite them out to dinner, invite them into your home if they're your neighbors. Find a way to connect to them. It may take all these levels of invites before they end up in church, but they're worth it. Their eternity's worth it, and that's why we exist. Live with gospel intentionality. in order to turn the world upside down. It's why we exist, and it's what we must be about, and there's nothing easy about it. There's nothing clean and neat about it. It is messy. It is dirty. Why? Because that's what people's lives look like, and if we're not willing to jump in the messiness of their lives, we don't care about their salvation. We don't care about their eternal soul. We'd just rather stay clean uh, you don't know who I'm dealing with. Yeah, I do. Lost people. You know why they act the way they do? That's how lost people act. They have no reference point of, of truth and the gospel and the love of Christ. That's why we here. That's why we exist. It's time to get into the messiness of the world. It's time to be the church and not go to church. It's time to be all in and offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. It's not easy, but the rewards are incredible. And once you try and we attempt as a church things that can only be explained by God and we start celebrating those things, you won't be able to stop it. You won't be able to keep people out of here. You won't be able to keep people in here. You won't be able to keep people from sharing their faith. You won't be able to keep Jesus from being spoken. Because once the Holy Spirit begins working miraculous things in you and through you, there's nothing like it in the world. It's time. It's time. Let's pray. God, you challenge us. 66 books, you challenge us to be consecrated, to be sanctified, to be set apart. You give us our role and you empower us through the Holy Spirit 
to be your vehicles, to be your vessels, to change the world. And God, we as a church stand before you tonight convicted, repentant, but ready. So God, use us to take on the darkness and claim the victory that's yours and already won. Thank you for allowing us the blessing of being a part of it. Thank you for allowing us to be called Wallace Memorial Baptist Church, a people with a heart for the gospel, for missions, for evangelism, for discipleship, for the kingdom. Now God help us live up to the blessing. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, it was more than 30 minutes. About 50 minutes. But we'll stay as long as you got questions. So if you raise your hand, you have a question about anything we talked about tonight or the previous five weeks, about mission, vision, values, direction, about where we're at in our processes, there's somebody here that can answer all of that or... The easiest thing is I don't have a clue, and I'm good at saying that. Most of the time I don't. But raise your hand if you have a question. These guys will run a microphone to you. Can, can I just say real quick, whatever he said about agility at the very beginning, <laughs> you might want to just dismiss that because Jeff and I are not. Just, just throw Laura, would you take the mic? No. Raise your hand if you got a question. Dick? Darrell, I'd like for you to uh, address the vision that we've talked about uh, from both campuses. You know, we need to have some unification of our vision, and where do you see that being developed and launched from our leadership? I'll, I'll let Chad speak into that as well, and, and Dale and anybody else. But because it's, it's, it's a team effort and we're still, all of that's still very fluid and we're trying to figure out what that looks like to be completely honest and transparent. And so I don't know the, the total picture of that. I just know that the more we think as one, the more we act as one. So that's going to take, because we've never done this before, and that's going to take you all beating us up with saying just what you did with me last week. Let's, let's talk about this, this as a whole. And, and you're exactly right. But unless we have those conversations or a process to make sure that happens, it'll not happen. So, but the vision is the same. The mission is the same. It's just that we're attacking different communities with it. And, and it might be that because of the target of the community around Cumberland, may look very different than the target around here, the methods may, va- may vary. And, and the flavor of it may vary, but we all know the mission and, and the, the truth of it doesn't vary. We just may have to go about it in slightly different ways. So we have to be, I've always said we have to be ultimately conservative in our theology and ultimately liberal in our methodology. We have to do whatever it takes to reach them with the absolute truth of the gospel. So it's it needs to be unified, but as as we walk down this journey together with Cumberland campus and, and main campus we'll just have to figure that out as we go in, in many many ways but it's going to take everybody communicating to say hey we missed this one and we dropped the ball here and why didn't you mention this here and those are just going to have to be constant communication because we got to learn there's, there's churches that have already gone this path before and we need to try to glean from them 
their failures so we can use their mistakes instead of ours to learn from. And I, I really believe in that in most things. But, yeah, it's going to be walking together, communicating continually with a common goal and vision being the gospel and the lostness in the community around us. But I think uh, Tom shared with, or Dr. Rainer shared with Dale this morning that, you know, satellite church movement has been sort of the fad lately, but it's really not about satellite churches. It's about community churches. It's about, is Cumberland going to do what it takes to reach their community? And is Wallace going to take do what it takes to reach the Norwood area? And the answer is we have to. It's our first responsibility. And every, all of the mission call starts in Jerusalem. And so we have to, we, we don't look like our community. Cumberland didn't look like their community anymore. Started out that way. It was built from that. It has to be rebuilt from that. And we have to focus on that and be intentional. Not that we negate regional or international or all over the United States. We don't have the choice of either or. It's both and all the above. Because the best I remember, it was Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. But it's going to be unified, focused, intentional, and wide open. Go ahead. Like you talked about, Jeff, a while ago, going into battle and having a plan, somebody has to plant the flags, and it may be several flags. And this unit may need to march toward that flag and another unit toward that flag as we minister together. Uh, we need those flags to start being planted so we can give people the opportunity. We've had all the training in the world. Mm-hmm. We have equipped and equipped, and it's time now, like we discussed this morning, to start serving, start practicing what that things, those things that we know. Mm-hmm. But we need a flag to march toward, and we look to leadership for that. Yeah, yeah, I agree, and I accept that. And uh, we're we're going to start planting those flags. I think we already have to some degree, and uh, we'll continue to do that. And we've got to. Oh, I've never been around so many great Christian men and women and leaders than I have in this these two congregations, uh, or this actually one combined congregation, and and. God has assembled everything necessary in order to achieve everything he desires through us. And so we have to, we have to start strategizing. You're right. But what, what I want to make sure we stay focused on is the corporate responsibility is just a unity of all the individual responsibilities. So the live, work, and play thing is critical. I don't want to plant flags that just are the church processes and programs I want to plant flags in my house, in my life, so that when you look at back out from the Google map of our flags collectively, you see an army that is not bound by a building, but is bound by the lives of the people in the building. And that's when the influence will really be seen. And it's trench warfare. It absolutely is. And uh, that's what we're responsible for. And that's the, the... the joy of the battle but you're right and we're we're gonna we're gonna start coming together in, in a more unified we're, we've been unified throughout the process but we're going to come together in a more intentional bat, uh, manner we already have we had some incredible leadership meetings in the last two months about being focused on the mission and a lot of it a lot of it to be quite honest is trying to figure out 
the current reality of who we are, where we find ourselves, and the, the, the bad habits that we need to undo, and then figure out how to recognize the strengths of everyone God's assembled, and then figure out how to move forward with the least hindrances of our own personal problems and attitudes and preferences like Tom talked about this morning. And when you, when you haven't established, that's the reason I've prayed for the last 10 years that God just let me plant a church. It's so much easier. Uh, you don't have to undo things. You can start them. But uh, fortunately, unfortunately, that's just not what he's called me to. And so he's called me here. And he's called me to you and you to me. And so we're in this together. And we're going to have to do a lot of hard work and have a lot of hard discussions and make a lot of hard decisions. But it's got to happen. It's got to happen, and nobody's going to be happy with everything. I'll just tell you that right now, and if you believe there is just all kind of fluffy clouds and Baptist wonderment, you're just in the wrong place and the wrong game because it's just not that way. But we can walk hand in hand without seeing eye to eye to everything. If we're not, we need to go back and revisit who we live for. Thank you, Dick. You're, you're exactly right, and I received that. Anybody else? Chad, do you have do you or Dale have anything to add to to Dick's question? Or? What can we expect to hear from Dr. Rayner's report? How specific is he going to get? Uh, pretty specific, actually. I've been through this consult with his group in another life. And uh, him and Dr. Lawless, who took his place as the chair of the Billy Graham School of Evangelism at Southern. And it'll be really specific because there'll be some trends that come out of it. And so we'll get all the demographics. We'll get all the data that they'll analyze and try to give us markers on to say this is really strong. This is really weak. This is a big, huge warning flashing light. Uh, If there were things that come, if there's things that come out of the personal interviews that are, that are, uh, troubling or big red sirens he's very open and honest with that uh, and the very first one I went through with him a, a staff member ended up losing their job as a result of some things that were said in uh, in the interviews because they were undermining to the pastor's authority and and that's not saying anything he said was wrong it was just wrong the way it was done and so Tom is, Tom is here to help the leadership of the church see a true picture and correct the things we can correct in order to march forward. So it will, it will have a lot of really detailed things about attitudes, uh, demographics, uh, uh, thought processes, how do people perceive things like leadership, how do they perceive uh, pastoral leadership, how they perceive lay leadership, how do they perceive the church as a whole and, and all the purposes of the church and in stewardship. And then they, their, their interviews will try to glean as much as possible about not only the reality, but the perceptions of, of people in the church and around the church. And then we'll get a whole, we'll get a whole uh, storyboard of secret shopper visits of what they discovered when they got here. Uh, toilet was dirty toilet paper was out I went straight to the bathroom I don't know why but signage 
I couldn't find where to get in when I got here. I parked, but I didn't know where to go from there. I mean, that kind of detail, because that's what we asked them to do. That's part of their process. How does an outsider see us as they move from the parking lot to this chair? And we'll get that in great detail with their analysis, of course, of, of strengths, weaknesses, what we can change. Uh, they, their, their recommendations will focus on small things with big impact. Because if you can do those first and get some wins, then you can start working on other things that are more difficult to, to move to win. But, but it'll be a really, really detailed report and, and, a, and a, in a face-to-face with the staff that hits the executive summary of the report. That is the highlights and, and the things. These are these are things you got to work on now, and they'll be prioritized according to their perspective, and they'll and they're open to discussion about those because they they don't live here, they don't know us the way we know us, so they're open to some discussion about those priorities based on what we know. I mean, they may have seen something and say, "Well, yeah, I know you may have seen that then, but here's what we think is the norm." And that was sort of an aberration, not the norm. So they're open to those discussions, but they're pretty sticky about it too. So it's it's going to be really good. It's going to be really good. I don't know if have y'all ever been through one of these before with with a group like that. It's it's really it's really it creates some really good conversation. The church will hear most of it, most of it. Uh, what the church you may hear all of it. It just depends on the report. If there's something that's internal that there's no value to to letting the church see it, then it'll be kept internal as far as staff and relationships and you know professional things, then there's no reason to to put that. But but the rest of it, it it'll be it'll be pretty open. And uh, I don't know if most most people won't like to sit down and read it, but we'll in the past, what we did was pick out some things and highlight them, the things that we thought would benefit the the congregation as a whole that they could speak into and help us move toward. And that way we can we sort of made our own executive summary. But we also left it open. If anybody wanted to come and see the whole thing, they could see it. Uh, unless there's any confidentiality things, and of course we'd protect that. But in general, we don't... We, the church, won't know anything from the survey. We won't know any names. We'll know all of the data and all the particulars and all their analysis, but we won't know who said what. We don't get that at all, period. We, we, it's totally anonymous from our standpoint. Even though you did make an account, you put your name in, they're the only ones that get that. We won't see anything connected to that. So it is completely anonymous and useful in that way. Carter? Uh, one question didn't get answered was when will the survey be re- re- results being made known? That, I think that was a question she asked. Okay. And second, will we get any idea how how much or how many of our uh, church participated in this uh, survey? In other words, will we get a percentage or numbers or something so we get an idea? So we would have an idea of representation. Representation. Yeah. Uh, I think we'll get all of that. I think we'll get the number of responses and the age demographics of the responses and gender demographics of the responses. I think we'll get all of that. That'll just be part of the the summary. As far as the the date of the response, I don't know the results. I, I don't know the timeline yet. There, 
their get their data gathering will be through this week. Um, unless they don't have enough responses to the survey, they may hold that open longer so that we can get. They said they wanted 80 to 100 people minimum to get a good healthy sample, and so. At the end of this week, I should know, they should give you an estimate of their timeline of when they're going to do all their calculations and their ciphering and printing and, and formatting and all that stuff. And they'll give me an, ex, uh, an expectation of when I'll get it back. And, and it won't be too long because uh, they're not doing it for free and, and they're not going to get the last payment until I get the results. So, uh, so you know, it'll be... Uh, uh, I'm sure it'll be fairly timely, but I can't tell you because they haven't told me yet when that's going to be. Yeah, but but that'll be part of the analysis is what does this age demographic? How do their perceptions differ from the other one? So that'll be useful useful information. Yes, ma'am. Wait a minute. Let him get a microphone over there. Jeff's behind you. Is most of this supposed to come from the survey that's online? how the people go in and answer those questions is the majority of it. I won't say the majority of it, but a large portion of it is because that's the largest population of responses. But they are doing interpersonal interviews this week on campus. They they had us select lay leaders from across the organization as well as staff leaders from across the organization. So they're doing personal interviews uh, in addition to the survey, so it'll that'll be the largest population of data, certainly. But the face-to-face -face interviews, they're oftentimes able to glean some uh, insight into the survey answers based on the, the personal interviews. So a lot of it will be from the survey, certainly, because they're not going to interview 80 people, but they're going to get responses from hopefully more than that. The survey, the survey we're talking about is online. It's it's uh, it's called the Transformational Church Survey. It's put out by Lifeway, which Dr. Rayner is the president and CEO of, and we sent it out through Connect Groups. It's on the website. If you haven't got it and haven't done it, uh, if you uh, let us know, we can email you the link. If you don't have access to the internet and don't do the whole email thing. Call and make an appointment at the church office and come in and we'll help you work through it. We'll we'll get you a computer and we'll show you how it works. It's really simple and it takes about 15, 20 minutes to complete, depending on how much you contemplate your answers. So uh, so it's, it's a real simple, straightforward questions, but the answers are not as straightforward because you have to say, I really agree with that or I kind of agree with that or I really disagree or I kind of or I'm neutral on it. So you have a scale to, an to answer uh, based on how you feel. And, and, and if you don't have any knowledge of it, you just, I'm neutral about it. And so it's, it's a really easy thing, but it's called Transformational Church Survey. It was developed by Lifeway Research and uh, has been very, very useful for literally thousands of churches across the United States. And uh, it's, it's really, really insightful. They know what they're doing. They know what to ask. They know churches. They know Baptist churches specifically, but it is meant to be uh, cross-denominational. It's meant for every, every church. So there aren't specific things about Baptist life in there. Uh, like you won't hear about WMURAs and GAs. Those are Baptist entities. So they're more general things of missions and children's and things like that. So that answer your question? Okay. Who else? 
Mike. Errol, I've got a couple of questions. One is the secret shopper visitors that, that are going to be here or maybe have already been here. Are any of those people unchurched, um, lost people that have been hired possibly? Because they would have a different perspective than someone who's been in church all their life and may not, we may not capture that. That's, that's one of the questions. The other question that I have relates to the, the D groups and eventually the E groups that are going to be coming up. Um, it's real easy for me to see how the D groups could become just an extension of, of all of our churches kind of getting together and swapping members and, and having Christian fellowship. Um, how is that designed so that we, we, we do turn outward and begin to un- impact the unchurched and the lost? Well, D groups are not for the unchurched. D groups are a discipleship process for believers. And so that entire process is meant to grow us into more mature believers who then are outwardly focused. But as a part of the D group process, one of the things we're going to talk about real soon is that every D group should plan ministry and mission projects and to make sure that we stay focused outward. But the D groups are for believers, not for unbelievers. E groups, which we'll talk about in the upcoming months are for unbelievers they're for your neighbors and it's building relationships inviting them over for coffee eventually getting to a discussion about your faith and about christ and bible studies and the the first invite for your neighbors doesn't need to be hey would you come to my house and do a bible study because the answer is most of the time no or they'll be polite and say yes and never show up and so you've not accomplished anything so the first invite needs to be just one of friendship and trust, and it may need to take it may take several of those before they they open up and are open to a deeper invitation. That's why I say invite them into your life, invite them into your home, then invite them into your church, and invite them into a relationship with Christ. That don't mean you can't mention Christ right away because you can, but if they feel like you had an ulterior motive to your coffee invitation, you won't get a second chance. So people need to know they're a person, not a project. So you have to be sincere and transparent completely. And that's only being fair and loving to people. So uh, don't don't treat it as a project. You're, it's not a project. It's a personal relationship with a person that needs the truth you have. So um, D groups are for believers. E groups are for unbelievers. Connect groups can be for either because they're a front door invite ministry of the church, but D groups are not. But D groups can reach outside of our church. D groups can and hopefully will very quickly saturate the population of the people who want to go deeper here at Wallace. And once that is saturated, and, and even before that, we can start inviting coworkers who are believers into our next generation of D groups. And what that does is you've invited them into a process of discipleship that they then take back to their church. So then Wallace has become a sending church by the virtue of discipling people in other churches who go back and disciple people in their church. And so it's an organic discipleship movement that can quickly really be a revolution in this whole area. And uh, the places where it started so far, that's exactly what's happened. At, at Brainerd Baptist in Chattanooga, they saturated their their desiring 
population, those who wanted to go into a deeper discipleship uh, relationship, they saturated that population in their church in two years. And then it started going outside the church, and now it's probably into most of the surrounding churches in the Brainerd area, Chattanooga area. So it's it's a very the reason it's structured the way it is is to be to have exponential multiplication and grow very quickly and generational. That's why it's short in in time six months to a year, two years at the very very most if you have a bunch of very young believers. But if you start a D group with a bunch of really uh, mature believers, mature leaders. Don't you dare hogtie them in a D group for a year or two years. You turn them loose in six months to start their own and let that thing grow because we we don't need to be hoarding leaders. We need to be blooming leaders and 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 just producing them like crazy and then we'll see see the the real thing happen. Was what was the other thing? Are they what? I'm sorry. It can be a little bit of anything. It can be a husband and wife that reaches out to their neighbors and invites them in. And then once trust is built in that kind of environment, then I would say be discerning and prayerful. And the sooner you can get men with men and women with women, even in that environment, the better off you are because then things open up. And, and men will share with men, women will share with women. But yes, it, e-groups can certainly start with couples and, and families for that matter. It's all, it's all about building relationships and, and getting them into your house and helping them trust you. Do what? Oh, the secret shoppers. I, I don't know if there were any unbelievers or not. I kind of doubt it. Maybe if they're really good at the ask, but it would be kind of weird to to find an unbeliever that, but maybe they've got something that they've cultivated, but I don't know. I think I think it's primarily believers that are that are familiar enough with church to know what to look for, but but to also try to put on an unbeliever's hat and and sit in a chair from their perspective to, and I'm sure they've been taught some specific things to look for, but they've, they've certainly already been some here. Uh, and if, if I would be surprised if that part of the process is not over already. And, uh, I think I might have spied one or two, uh, when, a, when, a, when a young man comes down by himself and sits on the front row, that's a real good indicator. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I think that's already done. But I, I, I would be. That's a good question. We probably asked Sam when he's here this weekend. Do you have, have you cultivated any unchurched people or de-churched people to be your secret shoppers? Uh, that'd be interesting. But I, I doubt it. I doubt it. My opinion. Randy. I will let the Honorable Dale Maddox address that. Is this on? Okay. Just who we liked. <laughs> now that's the fear, right? That's, that's the reason y'all wondering at. It's a fear that we're hand-picking people to get the answers that we want. That's not the case. They've got, they got a very specific list of uh, we want uh, this demographic these leaders of these Sunday school or connect groups, whatever you call them, deacon leader, 
you know, someone who is uh, of this age group that is kind of involved. And so we, we as a staff, took that list and those parameters and just tried to fill it in. And we said, this isn't about picking people who we think will give the right answer because there isn't a right answer, right? The we don't, we purpose, don't even know what the questions are. Yeah, we don't know what they're going to be asking. So the whole purpose of the survey is to get a feel for what what is it that we're focusing on here and, and are they the things we should be focusing on and, and how can they help us uh, in that process. So, and, it, and it's only like, what, 10 people, 12 people? So, you know, it wasn't 30 people, so it's a, a fairly small group. But the whole staff, pastoral staff, did this and came up with a list and we contacted them. And everybody's been very cooperative uh, uh, and willing to do that. So that's that's what we did. And since it's about time to go and I've got the microphone, a uh, couple quick announcements. Uh, these These sessions have been recorded, and we've got the first three already up on the website. If you want to listen to them, then the last three, including tonight, should be up there in about a week. So all six will be available. If you missed one and you want to go back and hear something again, or if you want to recommend someone listen to it. Secondly, for those of you that's been to most of these, if not all of them, share what you hear, okay? Because we're getting some of the same questions over and over again. And, and I've got to believe it's because they, they hope if they keep answering, asking it, they'll get the answer they want. I don't think that's it. I think they just, we're not talking among each other. So if you hear something, you hear someone ask, some, ask a question, share that out there, okay? Now, after tonight, Catalyst, a new session of Catalyst classes begin next week, next Sunday, and then the following uh, Wednesday. So, um, no, actually, it's this Wednesday, right? The no. fifth, the fifth, and the second. Fifth, second and fifth, whichever days those are on Sundays and Wednesdays. Um, look at you got a list today in the bulletin. They're online. They're out at the Welcome Center. Take advantage of that. Get plugged into one before between now and Thanksgiving. These are some really great classes. There'll be one in here in the, in the sanctuary in the worship center uh, beginning next week. So there's there's something for everybody. So be sure and do that. And lastly, you're. The October newsletter will be out soon. You'll be getting in the mail really soon. It's got some things that are coming up. Um, one of the things you're going to see in there that uh, you're going to be hearing about, and it's it's an attempt for us to try to start being more outwardly focused. And it's a stretch, but we, we, we really want to start letting people understand who we are as a church and, and that we're we're here for the community. And I've agreed, and we talked to the staff, and we've worked it out. We're going to be hosting a concert on October 22nd. That's a Saturday night. It's a benefit for Children's Hospital. It's, it's a concert that's being put on by Lawson Bates. Bates, there's a family, the Bates family here that has a reality show. They're a Christian family. And uh, if you're local, you, you've heard of them. You know a little bit about them. He's, he's hosting the concert, and the girl uh, that was on The Voice, Emily Ann Roberts, she's going to be part of that concert. Tickets are like $15. They're online. We're not selling tickets. It's all done online. But we agreed to host it because we are going to try to figure out how to let the unchurched people understand who we are 
and that we're here. Now, I'm, we're still, I still made sure that the songs they sang are going to be okay. And, you know, we're not going to ever do anything that's going to go against what this place was built for, and that's to glorify God. But we are going to try to figure out how to do things to open up to the community that people that would normally never walk through these doors might walk through the doors for something like that. One of the other things we do once a year is we, we host the Knox County Adult uh, Educate graduation for those that goes through the non-traditional way of graduating. That's always a night that if you could come, I want you to be here because this place is packed with people I guarantee have, have never walked through a door of a church uh, and, and they don't look like us at all and they don't smell like us and they don't, uh, uh, they don't understand what church is about but they're coming here because they get to graduate, something that they're proud of and their family's here. And we have a chance to be here and say, hi, how you doing? We're glad you're here. Welcome. And, and just congratulations on this accomplishment. And yes, we have to clean up. And yes, we got to, you know, clear up all the cigarette butts in front of the doors and all that stuff. But that's what we're supposed to be doing is figuring out how we can reach the community. So think about stuff like that. Randy, you got another question? Yeah, and I just use that as an example of we are going to try to figure out ways that we can start being more community-oriented and getting folks in here. So just be looking for those opportunities. If you've got ideas, if you've got suggestions, if you've got insights to something, please bring them to the table. All right, I think we've gone way past our time. You think? I think. Uh, as far as the, the sessions, Eddie's also putting together a package of CDs with the audio and there'll also be a copy of the slides that went with all the audio and Eddie's putting that together in a package to make available and, and it's all it's kind of all home church home folk stuff but it could be applicable to probably about any church as well so uh, when he gets those available we'll have them in the library or somewhere for y'all to make them available for you whatever it costs to, to make the CDs so uh, we want to try to keep that out there and make it available for everybody. I want to thank you for six weeks of listening to me jabber and uh, I hope it's been meaningful and I hope it's spoken to your heart and as as I had to deal with all these issues and, and God certainly spoke to me in many many ways and and he's working in my heart and and I, I trust he is in yours so thank you for your attention and your time in these six weeks and uh, I hope it makes a difference. And unless somebody wants to sing, you're dismissed. <laughs>